My name is Justine Kim, and I am the host of Becoming, a podcast about women, work, and how they're finding their whys, as well as a current Venture for America fellow. I'm going to be talking to you about how I got out of a toxic relationship with achievement and productivity. It's a story that some of you may relate to and you might see parts of yourselves in. Now, I know this space is a place for stories of truth, vulnerability, and bravery, but I have a problem with vulnerability. I've always felt this compulsion or instinct to not show weakness, to not share too much and let others in with things that might hurt me. I've been in contexts where I've been pushed to be vulnerable, where props or affirmation were rewarded to whoever shared the most or whoever was the most vulnerable, which I found was harmful rather than helpful. But I've also found freedom in vulnerability. And I like Brene Brown's take on vulnerability. She says, vulnerability is not a personal marketing tool. It's not an oversharing strategy. Vulnerability minus boundaries is not vulnerability. It's confession, manipulation, desperation, or shock and awe. Vulnerability is about leaning into rather than walking away from the situations that make us feel uncertain, at risk, or emotionally exposed. Now I feel like this podcast makes me feel that way. It makes me feel uncertain or emotionally exposed, and I want to lean into that. So I've chosen to share my story. I'm going to start by telling you about my grandma. Grandmas hold a very special place in many people's hearts, and it's an understatement to say that my grandma holds a very special place in mine. So let me take you back to a typical summer in the life of 10-year-old Justine. The summers were filled with my sister, my grandma, and me. We'd start the day with peanut butter and pickle sandwiches made by my grandma. Weird, I know, but don't knock it until you try it. Followed by a few hours of Korean language exercises. We'd have lunch, and after that was my favorite part of the day playing Huato. Huato is a Korean card game made up of a set of small red cards with illustrations of flowers, birds, mountains, and more that make the most satisfying snap when you hit them together. My grandma was a pro Huato player to say the least, and she trained us from a young age, so I'm proud to say that I'm pretty skilled myself now. During those summer days, we'd get set up at the kitchen table with our Huato set, a bowl of tiramisu wafers, and a collection of the last month's recycling money for our betting money, and we'd play 12 rounds of the game. It got heated and it got pretty close, but more often than not, our grandma would beat us. We always said whoever won would get all of the recycling money, but in the end, we'd split it evenly between the three of us. And the next day, we'd do it all over again without money until we had the next month's recycling money to bet again. Sometimes during those rounds of Huato, my grandma would interrupt us with one of her iconic lessons. Honestly, it didn't have to be during Huato. It could be during dinner or while we were watching TV after school. She always had a lesson. This particular one I'll always remember because she even had props. She'd grab three chopsticks, place one further down the table, and she'd say, look, here's the finish line. And then she'd hold the other two each in one hand. She'd hold one up and say, here's you. And then she'd hold the other one up and she'd say, and here's someone else. She'd start racing the chopsticks towards the finish line. And she'd say, in life, you're racing towards the finish line. And you're looking forward, focused on your own path. But the moment that you doubt yourself, you look at how someone else is doing, you fall and she'd make one chopstick fall. With that dramatic fall, she'd gather up the other chopsticks and she'd tell us, so focus on your own path. It's okay to go at your own pace. You don't have to worry about others, okay? And we'd nod and the show would be over. It's a lesson that I always remember 
but it's one that I forgot easily at one point of my life. So fast forward to college age Justine. College is supposed to be the best four years of your life, right? For me, of course, it was a positive experience and there were so many things that I loved about college, but I also had some of my lowest moments and hardest years in college, especially in the beginning. I don't even like to admit it because so many do describe college as the best years of their life, a time when you're supposed to learn more about yourself, make all of your best friends, and become more of a person, quote unquote. I came into college with that exact expectation and I dove right into the environment of achievement, productivity, and ambition that college promotes and rewards. At USC, where I went, and I assume at many colleges, there is this dynamic that promotes overwork, burnout, and overall being unhealthy, staying up too late, studying too much, pushing yourself above and beyond your limits. And this was accepted as normal when in fact it was toxic. It was cool and rewarded to be the person majoring in three different things, taking more than 18 credits, pulling all-nighters every week, while also being part of three clubs and organizations, getting internships, and oh, of course, having a thriving social life. My freshman year, I completely subscribed to that environment. I took on two majors and a minor, joined a flurry of clubs, stayed up late, ate horribly, and I was constantly comparing myself to others and their level of achievement and productivity. And I felt worse whenever I felt like I was behind or I wasn't measuring up to this standard that didn't exist. I was burnt out, sleep deprived, and overall I felt horribly about myself. My self-esteem and sense of worth were at a complete low and I felt completely isolated and lonely. I was finding my value in achievement, productivity, and ambition. And the more I bought into this lie that more achievement and more productivity, just doing more would make me feel more fulfilled, would make me feel better about myself, the worse I felt. And it seemed like everyone else was adjusting and doing it so much better than I was. Everyone else seemed to be thriving so easily when I was struggling to survive. It was the loneliest and most isolated I've ever felt and I felt so empty. Ultimately, I think I felt a lot of shame that something had to be wrong with me. I was weak in some way or incompetent in some way to even struggle. And so it was hard for me to even admit that I was struggling. It was affecting how I was treating myself, how I was interacting with others and my ability to be present in the moment. I had forgotten this lesson that my grandma had taught me to go at my own pace, focus on and treasure myself and my own path. I was that chopstick that had tripped and fallen and I found different ways to cope. I would push myself harder, I would sleep less, and I'd find comfort in food. I've never talked about this, I think, to anyone because I think it's a fact that's still very linked to shame. I tried to fill my feeling of lacking worth and confidence with food. There's the freshman 15, right? People gain weight from eating because you're stressed and overworked and not sleeping. And of course that was the case for me, but I had an unhealthy relationship with food. I remember I would finish eating and then I would eat four to five cookies in the dining hall and then take four back, which I would immediately eat in my dorm room. Now, maybe that doesn't sound like a lot, you know? I've eaten a bag of chips just watching TV on a weekend, but I think it's less about how much I was eating, but why I was eating. I would overeat to the point of feeling uncomfortable and sick. Thankfully, I never got to the point of actually throwing up, but I was on the cusp. I remember I would be eating in the dining hall and overeating because of how bad I felt and feel so much shame that others would be judging me. I realize now that I wasn't trying to fill a sense of hunger. I was trying to fill something else. 
The point where I knew I had to do something about my own mental and physical health was when I was staying up super late one night to work on a design project that was taking so much of my time. It was 4 a.m. and I was so behind on this project, I knew that I had to ask for more time and it wasn't even a big deal now that I look back, but I just had a breakdown over it. I was crying, I couldn't breathe. It was something I'd never experienced before and I now know that it was an anxiety attack. I think I realized then that something had to change, that how I was functioning wasn't healthy, wasn't sustainable, and it wasn't being kind to myself. It wasn't this cliche light bulb moment where I realized everything and suddenly changed everything about my life, but it pushed me to start making small changes, to start talking to others about how I was feeling, finding that most people, if not all people, were struggling like I was to a certain extent to drop things and to cut things out of my life that were sucking away at my well-being, to reevaluate my routines, how I was eating, how I was taking care of myself, and overall reframing how I viewed achievement and productivity. Breaking down this lie that told me that my worth was connected to what I was doing, was connected to how much I achieved. Breaking down the lie that I had to compare myself to others and where they were at, and that I had to keep up in some way. This was a process and a lot involved setting boundaries, actually. That sounds weird, but the times in my life when I felt the most stressed, overwhelmed, have been when I've allowed myself to cross boundaries that I've set for myself or let others cross boundaries that I've set. Whether it's in work, relationships, health, and more, those boundaries influence how I treat myself and how others treat me. And so learning how to set those boundaries, learning how to stop doing things or even cut things out that were sucking away on my mental and physical health, my well-being, my joy, being able to identify those things and to know when to stop and to know when to stop before I've hit my lowest point. All of those things made my relationship with achievement and productivity so much better. And I'm glad to say it got so much better in my upperclassmen years, but it's still an ongoing process for myself because this lie exists outside of the bubble of college. I'm still working on it today, but I will never let this drive for achievement and productivity dictate my life again in the same way. And I will never forget my grandma's lesson. My worth is not linked to what I do, and my current pace, my path, is where it's supposed to be. And telling my story has also been part of that process. I have talked about some of the lows of my experience with people, but I don't think I've ever gone so in-depth into my story because I think I still associate a lot of shame with it. But vocalizing it is part of that process. Doing my podcast has been part of that process. Yes, I talk to people about what they do, but I'm more interested in learning about who they are as people. What gives them joy? How are they becoming? How are they navigating their relationship with work? Hearing and learning from people's stories has been part of that process, and most of all, being kind and taking care of myself. Learning what gives me joy, what makes me feel great, I treasure those things. And constantly challenging myself to question where I base my confidence and sense of self-worth, and engaging in constant self-reflection and introspection has been vital. What I've been learning about myself from sharing my story on this podcast is that I've come a long way. I don't think I take much time, and maybe others as well, to celebrate my victories and how I've changed. And telling part of my story today and thinking back to freshman year me makes me realize how far I've come and makes me want to celebrate myself more. To honor the low moments I've gone through and not just view them with shame. To not beat myself up for moments where I felt like I didn't show up as my best self and to celebrate the small things. I don't know if I have any lessons to leave with you, but I hope that if you saw a part of yourself in my story, that it was helpful for you. And I want to leave with this quote by Toni Morrison, which I feel pretty much sums up the essence of what I'm saying. You are not the work you do. You are the person you are.
Finally, my biggest dream. I'm inclined to say something achievement-oriented, like starting my own social enterprise or moving and living in another country to work and or do research. But in the spirit of what my story has been about, I'm going to shy away from those things. My biggest dream is that I will be able to uplift and give platforms to other people's stories in whatever medium that comes to be. Part of my journey of healing and getting out of this toxic relationship with achievement and productivity has been telling my own story, but also listening to and learning from others' stories. So I want to be able to continue doing that. And that is my biggest dream. We all have a story to share and a voice that is meant to be heard, and we want to share yours. For more information and to get involved, visit storiesofinspiringjoy.com. Stories of Inspiring Joy is a production of Seek the Joy Media and created by Sydney Weiss. You can find all episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and if you like the show, hit subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and follow along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're creating greater connection and community, one powerful story at a time.